Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. New show, new day, new logo, new network, new everything. PFTPM on Peacock. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, the first show. And this is a different feel, Shereen. We have done this from time to time in the mornings. In the mornings, it feels like morning. Now it's 5 p.m. Eastern. My stomach's rumbling a little bit. The workday is behind me. I don't really care. So maybe it makes for a better show. We're just going to talk football for the next hour. We're going to have different formats each day. We're going to kind of make it up as we go. Kind of like what happens during a football game. They have a plan, but then they get hit in the mouth and off they go. So why bother to have a plan? We'll just hit each other in the mouth and off we go. Hello and welcome in. And how do you feel at 4 p.m. Texas time? A lot better than 4 a.m. Texas time, Mike. I like this hour a little bit better than the morning show. It's not quite 4 a.m. Texas time in the morning, at least. Not yet. Hopefully not ever. 6 a.m. though, what's the difference between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m.? Anytime before the sun comes up, it's bad. It's good in the afternoon. And here we are on Peacock. And we don't have to worry about saying hello to anybody in the U.K. and Ireland like we do in the mornings. No serious XM yet. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we're going to have to start welcoming in a broader audience if people actually listen to it, watch it, and or enjoy it. But for now, it's just Peacock and only Peacock. And if you have Peacock, you're among the smart ones. Paul Allen just texted me, Paul Allen, voice of the Vikings, and he said, I don't know what Peacock is. And I said, you're an idiot. You're, you're just an idiot. If you don't, how can someone in the media, as of September 14, not know what Peacock is? It's been available for two months now. So anyone that's got it, you're not an idiot. Paul Allen, voice of the Vikings, is an idiot. That's basically my words of wisdom for the day, Shereen. Well, and all my friends have Peacock. Everyone seems to know what Peacock is, so I have to second what you said about Paul Allen. If you don't know what Peacock is, you do now because you're watching us, so you have it. So that's good. Tell all your friends and your family. And our good friend Paul Allen will still be an idiot even after he gets Peacock, but that's just (laughs) part of what he's cursed with. Uh, Week one in the books, except for the Monday Night Games. We'll talk about those coming up. Your knee-jerk reaction to what we saw unfold on Sunday. Wow, there was a lot of good football. I'm just happy we had football, first of all. I mean, you and I both thought that maybe we wouldn't get to this point and have week one a few months ago, and and here we are, and and it just seemed natural. You know, I didn't miss the audience, the crowd not being in the stands. I didn't miss any of that. I just thought there were some really great games yesterday, and it was fun to watch, and it was back, and there were so many surprises like there are on week one. How about that Washington defense and how about those Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray there were just so many great things that happened yesterday we don't I mean we could cover several hours on this mic with what happened yesterday but it was fun it was a fun day of football at the most superficial level possible though I I kept bouncing back and forth between thinking everything's normal to what the hell is going on because the shots the tv shots of the action normal every other shot what the hell is going on to the point where Somebody sent me a clip of Kyler Murray's scramble on third and 17 where he makes a great play, spins a guy around, gets to the sideline, and instead of trying to keep running steps out of bounds, and you can see behind him all the empty seats, and I had to process, like, was this before the game? Was this in warm-ups? What the hell's going on here? But that's part of what we're going to deal with until fans are in the stands, but at least football's back on the field, and... Uh, It looked good as long as they only did shots of the field. And it looked pretty good for the New England Patriots. What you need to know, that's one of the things we're going to carry over from PFT Live. What you need to know this Monday afternoon, we'll go back to Foxborough because Bill Belichick, day after the 21-11 victory over the Miami Dolphins, talked about that impressive performance from Cam Newton, a new-look offense that by all appearances entailed tearing up the playbook and drafting a new one. Well, we always try to do what's best for the team to win. And, um, you know, everything we've done for the last uh, 20 years, and rightfully so, has been uh, for Tom Brady. It was for Tom Brady. Um, 
everything was dedicated to him other than the games that he didn't play in. Like, um, you know, when Castle played um, or Jimmy and then Jacoby um, when Brady was suspended. So, you know, there were times when we, we had to plan differently. But, uh, you know, when you your starting quarterback has uh, things that he's good at or things that you can take advantage of, then I think you try to take advantage of them. That's just good coaching. I remember Mike Zimmer explaining that to me right after he got the Minnesota job. His dad was a high school coach, and you take the guys you have each and every year and you craft the best possible playbook based upon what you have. One year you have a great passer, you're a passing offense. The next year you have a great running back, not a great passer, you're a running offense. So the Patriots swap out Tom Brady for Cam Newton. And they redesigned the offense, and it's all about making the most out of the guys that they have, Shereen. So it really was a no-brainer, but there was still anticipation because with Bill Belichick, you never quite know what he's going to do until he does it. Mike, you were the first one to point this out, that Josh McDaniels had Tim Tebow in Denver, and it was going to look a lot like that offense. Like, he built that offense around what Tim Tebow did well, and they won with Tim Tebow. They won a playoff game with Tim Tebow. And that's exactly what I saw with this offense, with the Patriots, with Cam Newton. They designed that offense around what he does well, and he ran the ball 15 times and looked good doing it. And when he threw, you know, he found receivers, and we know the receiving core is not the greatest of all time but he completed passes and it was a terrific performance by Cam Newton and a terrific performance by the Patriots. Now we don't know how good the Dolphins are for sure. I think that's still a question mark, but for a good opening game, I just thought he was outstanding in that game. And I think we kind of see how this offense is going to look. And I think this is going to be a week in and week out challenge for the Patriots, as it always is. They devise a game plan on both sides of the ball that is specific to the opponent they will face. They don't have a system per se. They have a plan each and every week that is aimed at creating the best possible mismatches and shutting down a defense or shutting down an offense, excuse me, or gashing a defense. And, you know, that that's the 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 the. the turmoil that an opponent faces because if you're the Seahawks their next opponent Sunday night on NBC you're going to look at the film from week one because that's all you have to go on there's no preseason film there's nothing else to go on you go on week one you try to anticipate what they're going to do well we know how Bill Belichick is part of it may be a setup you still don't know what he's going to do week two it may look entirely different this week than it did the first and you know we always knew that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time, and he does this, and he's terrific. Do you realize he's only had, and it probably shouldn't be that big of a surprise considering Tom Brady was there all those years and started for all those years, but only six quarterbacks Bill Belichick has had in his time in New England, and this obviously is the second-best quarterback he's ever had in his time in New England. They went 18-19 and 19 without Brady in those games that Bill Belichick coached in New England without Tom Brady, and they're 1-0 with Cam Newton. We always knew Cam Newton was a really good quarterback. I mean, he won the MVP award in 2015, and it's never been about that. It's been a question of can he stay healthy, and that's obviously still the question mark with Cam Newton. Can he stay healthy for 16 games, something that he hadn't done in a few years now? And that really is the question about keeping Cam Newton healthy. He was healthy on Sunday, but plenty of times he got hit. He was being dragged to the ground. He was in that mosh pit, as Chris Sims calls it, over and over again. Belichick was asked about Cam Newton taking hits based upon the fact that he ended up running the ball 15 times. Here's Belichick from earlier today. I think those numbers are, with all due respect, I mean, I think they're a little bit skewed. The defense, if they played a certain way, they could, you know, Put the ball in whosoever's hands they want to if they want you know if they really want to declare who's going to get the ball so we'll see how teams play us going forward uh, on those type of plays if we run those again i don't know we'll you know do what's best each week based on the team that we're playing and and how we feel like we you know can attack them yeah and look he, he was talking about the difference between design runs and options and the 15 runs for Cam Newton came on option plays, not the design run that we would see from time to time in Carolina or that we saw yesterday for Tom Brady when he plunged over from the goal line to score his first touchdown as a member of the Buccaneers. So it's possible that each of those 15 runs next week, if there are that many option plays called, the option is going to be to hand the ball off if what Cam Newton sees is a defense that is overcommitting to stopping him. And maybe that's the setup. Maybe it's that simple. 
when they call those option plays next week, Cam Newton's going to decide the running back is going to be in a better position to gain the yardage than me, so I'm just going to hand it off over and over again instead of running it. Well, and that's what makes the Patriots so great is they do design their offense and their defense to match the opponent each and every week. And I'm not sure every team does that, but the Patriots do it and they do it very well. And that's why Bill Belichick has won as many games as we had. And, you know, we had this big debate, Mike, in the offseason of is it Belichick? Is it Brady? I think it was both of them. You have to give at least both of them partial credit and a lot of credit for what they were able to do together. But I think we saw yesterday that the Patriots are fully capable of winning with Cam Newton as their quarterback. If he stays healthy, I see this as the best team probably in the NFC East and, and, and a potential contender for the Super Bowl moving forward. Despite all their opt-outs, despite not having Tom Brady, despite everything else, coaching still matters in this league, and, and we've seen that now after week one. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And when you say if he stays healthy in relation to any other quarterback, it's just kind of a perfunctory, we hope we don't jinx him by mentioning it, but for the most part, quarterbacks don't get injured. For the most part, for the most part. Mobile quarterbacks are at a greater risk, and we've seen with Cam Newton the history of the injuries, and it's a very real concern, and they just need to try to cut down on the number of times he gets pretzeled around by defenders because he looks indestructible. It's easy for coaches to get seduced by that. Oh, he's fine. Who can hurt this guy? He's a giant. Well, he's been hurt, and it's an accumulation, and it's that stubbornness, and that stubbornness comes from his desire to win, but sometimes you got to be smart. you got to avoid that hit so you can line up and play another play, another game, another drive, etc., Tom Brady, other than 2008 when he lost the full season due to an ACL tear from week one, continues to play and play and play. And we saw him look okay by his standards, just okay. C-plus is what I'd give Tom Brady for week one. The two interceptions offsetted by the offsetting the two touchdowns. And Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians let him have it after the game publicly, blaming both interceptions on Tom Brady. And then again today, Bruce Arians not afraid to call out his quarterback before a crowd of reporters. Here's Arians from earlier in the day. He's had it before. I mean, he knows how to bounce back. And uh, he knew he didn't play very well. And uh, it's not what he expects from himself nor do we expect. So yeah, I, w- I would anticipate him to uh, have a little more grit and a little more determination this week. And, and look, uh, fine. Every coach has his own style. It, it is jarring, though, to hear Bruce Arians talk publicly with criticism of Tom Brady for two consecutive days when for 20 years, two consecutive decades, you never heard anything from Bill Belichick by way of criticism publicly, really of any players. It's not his style. He'll rip you in the film room. But when it's time to talk to the reporters, it's circle the wagons and protect the guys and not create storylines and question marks. And you don't want to give the reporters and the media and the fans the, the fodder for wondering what the hell's going on. And, and again, it does come down to style, and both guys are too old at this point to change their ways. But it's just weird, Shireen, to hear Tom Brady being called out by his coach, given that he never had been before. 
Yeah, he was very stern today saying, you know, we didn't see this in practice. We sold, saw the old Tom Brady, but we didn't see that in the game. In the game. And he did say he expects him to back, bounce back this week. And, of course, they play Carolina, so it's a lesser opponent. He'll know the offense better. I think not having preseason probably hurt him. But, yeah, it is very jarring to hear a, a, a coach criticize the GOAT. And I think we all agree that Tom Brady is the GOAT. Uh, of this league he is the greatest of all time and and uh, he didn't play very well and Arians called him out it'll be interesting when Tom Brady talks the media again I assume on Wednesday to hear what he says about his performance and about Arians calling him out publicly yeah and, and I'm sure he'll say all the right things at least for now after several weeks of it though you'll wonder if maybe he'll find a way to give it back a little bit maybe it'll first start in a little passive aggressive way but it's going to be important to listen carefully to everything that Tom Brady has to say and everything Bruce Arians has to say, unless and until they turn it around. The schedule softens after week one. They got a tough draw right out of the gates. We don't know. That may be the best team they face all year. We just don't know until we have more of a body of work. It could be that both teams aren't very good. And frankly, there are things about the Saints offense to be concerned about. We need to see all teams play several games before we get a feel for who really has it and who really doesn't. Speaking of the Saints... Yeah, they got the win. That's all that matters. Showdown, biggest game of the weekend, arguably. But Michael Thomas emerges from the game with a high ankle sprain. And I'm not surprised by this, Shereen, because here's what happened. I saw that play live last night. We are doing Football Night in America, and I have a monitor in front of me that has the games that are still being played, plus the feed from Connecticut. And I saw Michael Thomas get rolled up on by Alvin Kamara down near the goal line. Saints up 11, 34-23, I think it was late in the game. Something along those lines. And I thought, wow, uh, that wow, that, that that's concerning. Uh, and, and because it's one of those things where it can happen all the time. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often in football when bodies start flying around and they land on guys' legs. But I could tell he he messed up his ankle. And I started the mad dash to try to figure out exactly what was going on. When I was told he's in the locker room walking around, he won't let the trainers look at it. That's when I knew there's an issue there. And after that, it was crickets. And now we know high ankle sprain. That's the worst ankle sprain you can have. That's the thing that takes six weeks in some cases to heal. And this is a guy who had almost 150 catches last year, right? What was the final number? Was it 150? Did he get to 150? I think it was 149. Whatever it was. 149 was the record. 149. He wants... He wants to do better than that this year. Well, first of all, I think he had two catches yesterday, so it kind of puts him behind the pace. Secondly, if he misses any time, forget it. He ain't getting anywhere close to 149. Yeah, and he's going to try to play with that high ankle sprain, he says. I just don't know how you do it. It, it, It's a really tough thing. I know he's a tough guy, a tough player. He's only missed one game in his career, but – Mike, a high ankle sprain, I just don't know. I don't know how you run routes and stop on a dime at the position he plays. There's some positions I might say, yeah, okay, they can tape it up good enough, shoot it up, you're not going to feel it. But with the receiver, I just don't know how you do that. And you're right, he does want to get to that 150 catch range. He said that all along. He expects to do that. Uh, the, the great thing for the Saints is they had seven players catch passes yesterday. They, they have a deep, deep roster of receivers, running backs, Taysom Hill, everybody else they have, tight ends. Jared Cook was really good yesterday. They have a lot of guys they can go to. It might behoove them to sit him out for at least a game or two, even if he feels like he can go to try to heal that thing up at least a little bit before he gets back on the field. And there is a certain amount of stubbornness that creeps into this. When you are an accomplished athlete, you're coming off of a special season to have it potentially derailed. And not like a season-ending injury, but still, it, it puts a dark cloud over your season, the idea of missing any time. And they've got a Monday night game coming up at Las Vegas, the first game in the new stadium there. He's going to want to play in that. Then they have a Sunday night game against the Packers. He's going to want to play in that. So they've got some games coming up, another Monday night game a couple of weeks after that. And, and then they're by week, week six, you know, to handle this thing the right way, you shut him down until after the bye week. If it truly is a high ankle sprain, that's a no-brainer, and you don't try to turn the guy into a hero. Otherwise, it's going to mar him all season long, and uh, you just can't you can't be that way. You have to be smart about it and get your guys healthy, and sometimes guys need rest. So we'll see how Sean Payton handles it, but this is not good for the Saints. They got the win, but 
the asterisk is they're going to have to deal with this Michael Thomas injury, and maybe he'll be a decoy. Maybe he'll try it for a week and then realize he needs to shut it down. There's a lot of stuff that guys have to process when you have that buildup, all that anticipation, and you get that injury. The human being has to work through it, and we've seen it time and again. Michael Thomas, though, has never lived it, and I think that's part of what we're going to be witnessing, but it's going to look a lot like how it's looked for other great athletes in the past. Speaking of great athletes who need to miss some time, Le'Veon Bell. The Jets running back, hamstring injury. Remember, it wasn't that long ago. He tweeted, ain't nothing wrong with my hamstrings. Well, there's a hamstring problem now. You can see him grab at the back of the leg after making a catch in the first half of the game against the Bills, a game that just went so poorly for the Jets. They were down and never really had a chance to get back into it. Down 21 nothing though. They scored 10 points, and it made me think maybe, just maybe. And look, they've got Frank Gore, who still can get it done. But to not have Le'Veon Bell... And with a hamstring, even more so than an ankle, I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of tape you can put on an ankle that's eventually going to allow you to go out and perform. But the hamstring, you just have to shut it down until it's 100%, and maybe even bond 100%, because you think it's 100%, and then you go run, and it's not 100%, and you're set back again. That happened to Adam Thielen last year when he had his hamstring problem. So th- this is an issue for the Jets, and you know they just can't catch a break. Yes, they won their Super Bowl trophy, but it's been over 50 years now, and it feels like they've gotten a lot farther away from their next one than we would have thought going into week one after getting pasted by the Bills, and now they're without Le'Veon Bell for who knows how long. Yeah, and this has gone on, Mike. You remember back when he and Adam Gase got into it about whether the hamstring was injured or not when Gase pulled him out of the scrimmage. And I know Gase blames himself yesterday for not pulling him out after the 30-yard reception because he did feel some tightness in that hamstring and he stayed in there and perhaps made it worse. Who knows? But it it was pretty banged up then, and I think it was banged up before uh, the game even happened. And he just didn't contribute that much either. And and when you start thinking about the the last – Great game that Le'Veon Bell had. I went and looked it up. His last 100-yard game came on December 17th of 2017. Now, of course, he sat out a season. I understand that. But he was not good with the Jets last season. They couldn't figure out how to use him. And he wasn't that good in the first game of this season. Probably in his last season with the Jets, unless something miraculous happens here. But to me, you sit him out. You let that hamstring heal. And and hopefully you're still in it when he comes back and, and he can help you and you can figure out how to use him. But he just has not been very good with the Jets. And I think what we've seen so far this year makes it even more likely he gets traded before the Tuesday after week eight. It almost happened last year. The impediment was he had $13.5 million guaranteed for this year. And he told me on this program before we you know became fancy with the new logo and on Peacock that he didn't want – to redo his contract and that was the thing that kept the trade from happening he rattled off like five teams that wanted him the Texans the Packers the Chiefs the Steelers for crying out loud so I I think he's going to be traded if he's healthy if he's not healthy he's got seven weeks to get healthy if he's not healthy he won't be traded but I think that's a real possibility now for Le'Veon Bell and I'd be stunned if he's back with the Jets next year whether it's because he's traded this year or because he's cut or traded after the season. This is going to be it for Le'Veon Bell. And I think one of the real questions that that I think people are going to get curious about, what, what kind of shape was he coming into training camp? What did he do in the offseason? How engaged was he in the virtual program? Because I just feel like he and Adam Gase have never really clicked from the beginning. And I think we've seen the manifestation of it with this lack of preparation, potentially, that contributed to a hamstring injury when it was time to go full speed ahead. Another injury to a running back, Indianapolis Colts starter Marlon Mack does have a torn Achilles tendon. Jonathan Taylor, the rookie from Wisconsin, who had a heavy workload while he was at Wisconsin, will be the starter. Frank Reich said that today. So if he's not already on your fantasy team, well, it's probably too late to get him because he should have been anyway. And uh, that's the reality for the Indianapolis Colts. It's now Jonathan Taylor taking over for Marlon Mack with Naheem Hines still floating around there, too. He had a touchdown yesterday for the Colts. All right, um, Shireen. One more big topic that I, I, and this is one that I didn't really notice yesterday because I was focused on the football, but there were a lot of coaches that were not wearing their face masks yesterday. And I, I just, I didn't care. Not that I didn't care because it's not important. It just wasn't on my radar screen to make sure that the face masks were covering the mouth and the nose at all times. Well, the NFL noticed and the NFL sent out a memo today making it clear 
that you must, when on the sidelines, when coaching, if you're one of the people who's required to wear a face mask, it must be on at all times. It must cover the nose and the mouth. You can't let it hang down under your chin. You can't let it hang down over your mouth only and not your nose. And they're going to enforce it. And if, if people fail to do it, there will be consequences starting this week. And uh, I, I'm surprised in hindsight to see so many of the pictures like what we showed of the guys who just failed to comply and, and maybe they got caught up in the moment, but they better not get caught up in the moment next time or they're going to get caught up in forking over some money to the league. You know, when I noticed it, Mike, Sean McVay never wore the, wore the face mask on, on his face. He, he had it down in, on his chin. But he did this when he was calling plays. And I tweeted out, Sean McVay, if you'd wear your mask like you're supposed to, you wouldn't have to worry about covering your mouth when you call the plays. And, and it's not that hard to do. And people say... With all due respect, why do they need to do this? The players are tested for COVID. They know they don't they they know they've all tested negative or they wouldn't be out there. Okay, what if somebody got it overnight after the test was conducted, which we know can happen. The tests are not foolproof. We we know that. And so they need to wear it as an extra precaution to keep from getting COVID. It's just the right thing to do. And and besides that, it's the, as the NFL pointed out, two stadiums are in are in states that require masks be worn. So they're actually violating state mandate at this point. So wear the mask. It's not that hard to do. We all do it. None of us like doing it, but we do it because it's the right thing to do and the safe thing to do. And we're trying to protect other people. So they need to do it to protect their players and their other coaches. And it's a combination of it being the right thing to do, Shireen. Also, there's a liability component to this as well. And there will be an entire industry of COVID-19 litigation that unfolds over the next 20 years, like asbestos did for all those years. I think you still see asbestos commercials on late night TV. And here's what will happen. I saw somebody on one of the news shows talking about this today saying, well, you know, here's the problem with COVID-19 liability. How do you ever show that that thing you went to that was in violation of local standards caused your COVID-19. You're never going to be able to show how you got it or where you got it. How do you prove causation? Look, I think what's going to happen is the law is going to adjust to meet the realities of COVID-19. And I think it's going to be enough. If you had an event where you failed to comply with the local requirements, that's going to be enough. If you set up a super spreader event and it went against the local rules and authorities, you're done. The, the causation is going to be assumed if the person merely shows they were there and they ended up getting COVID-19 within two weeks after being there. You don't have to show that that one little virus molecule came your way at that event that shouldn't have happened. And the way that applies to the NFL, you're setting up a standard for yourself and you're not enforcing it. So if one of these coaches ends up getting it and they're not part of a CBA, they can sue. If one of these coaches end up getting it because – They didn't enforce their requirement that on the sidelines, everybody wear their masks over their nose and their mouth. They got a problem separate and apart from it being the right thing to do. So the NFL, to their credit, has recognized if you're going to have a rule when it comes to COVID-19, you better enforce it because it's worse to have a rule that you don't enforce than to not have the rule at all. Yeah, and, and I'm glad they're enforcing it. They're doing the right thing. And you think about, Mike, all the high risk people on that sideline. From players to the older coaches to everybody else, you've just got so many high-risk people in there that you need to protect. And and some of those are the head coaches themselves who need to be wearing those masks to protect others, to protect themselves. And, yes, they've tested negative for COVID. We, we understand that. But, but let's just go the extra step and put the mask on, too, and make sure everybody stays healthy safe and healthy through the game look we want to see 17 weeks of football and that's the best way to do it if they do the right things and let me just say this you know we had b-roll this morning on pft live industry term i always feel cool when i say b-roll we had (laughs) b-roll i feel cool again on pft live today of the washington locker room where they gave ron rivera the game ball and you know this is the thing because there's this ridiculous political fight over masks, you feel like if you say anything about it, you're opening yourself up to all the anti-maskers calling you an idiot or a Karen or whatever. But I was horrified to see Ron Rivera in the locker room amid all those players pressed together and none of them had a mask on. And this is a guy who was getting cancer treatment right now and his mask was down. 
There it is. That shouldn't be happening. The guy is currently having his immune system dramatically depleted by chemotherapy. So this is the reality of the NFL now. And you got to protect these guys from what football is. And the emotion overcomes the moment. And that's re- and, and here's the other thing, too. Last point. Now we got to take a break. Matt's already told me once, but I'm going to keep talking until he tells me <laughs> twice. The, here's. <laughs> I'm not going to say what else he said. Here's here's the, here's the thing. I don't, Shereen, I don't know why they didn't have someone go tell the coaches during the game, put your damn masks on, because I can tell from experience, if there's anything going on on that playing surface, sidelines anywhere, if somebody's anywhere they don't need to be, they send someone to come get you and tell you, you're somewhere you shouldn't be. So why didn't they send someone down to Cliff Kingsbury and say, hey, Cliff, this isn't a fashion statement with this, you know, scarf around your neck. Put the damn thing over your mouth. That, to me, is as stunning as some of the visuals we saw. The NFL has people there that they can send down and say, put your damn mask on. And hopefully next week, if it happens, they'll do it. Hopefully tonight, if it happens, they'll do it. All right, let's take a break. We're going to answer some of the PFTPM posse when this inaugural Peacock edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Sometimes a wake-up call is pretty good for everybody. Um, you know, a nice nice punch in the mouth, and that's how we should take it. We should... Uh, you know, not dwell on it. Realize that uh, we just got beat today. They, they played better than us. Look at it and get better, move on, and uh, go play the Bengals. That's all we can do. You know, I always get a kick out of that. It reminds me of The, the Office. One of the brilliant aspects of that show, no matter what went on, when they would do the testimonials, the individuals would rationalize whatever set of circumstances unfolded in a way that made it positive. And, and that's just human nature. So... The Browns go out and get the crap kicked out of him, 38 to 6 by the Ravens. And Baker Mayfield comes up with some way to make the glass half full. The glass isn't half full. There's nothing good about getting stomped week one in a place where you went last year and won. And now one of the only bright spots from a disappointing 2019 season ends in a 32-point deficit where you look lost and confused and like you don't belong on the same field as a team you still have to play again and compete with. There's nothing good about that, but that's human nature. I mean, what's he going to say? We should just not play the next 15 games? So I, I just, it's fascinating that the human mind is capable of finding the thinnest silver lining in the darkest possible cloud. You know, the first thing I thought, Mike, was, God, I wish I had that optimism. I I wish I was that positive, (laughs) Patty positive about everything, because that was I I had that game yesterday and it was truly a punch in the mouth from start to finish. I mean, it was as ugly as ugly can get and everything that could go wrong uh, did go wrong for the Browns in that one. And if any team knows about getting punched in the mouth, it's the Browns and unfortunately Browns fans who have had very little to celebrate since their team came back from as an expansion team in 1999. I mean, this is a team that's been a graveyard for quarterbacks and Baker Mayfield did not look any better yesterday. Odell Beckham, we're waiting for him to blow up. I mean, Nick Chubb had 43 yards in the first quarter, four carries for 43 He finished with 10 carries for 60 yards. The play calling was questionable. Everything about that game, to me, there was nothing positive. There was no optimism that happened in that game. I mean, Baltimore just dominated them. And I understand we're talking about one of the best teams in the NFL. But like you pointed out, this is a Browns team that won their last year in the rain. I had that game, too, and played much, much better. And they just looked lost. They looked terrible yesterday. Worst possible game they could have drawn out of the gates, going to a 14-2 and two team from last year that's going to be salty because they lost in the playoffs and picked up right where they left off. So, And now they got a short week to get ready to play on Thursday night against the Bengals, so they, they need to find a way to get it kick-started. Dr. J144 has a great question. Would I be crazy to argue that Gardner Minshew is a better leader than Baker Mayfield? Switch Gardner and Baker. Is Cleveland a better team? Shereen, your thoughts? I love what Gardner Minshew has done, and I'll be the first to admit, I overlooked what he did last season. You know, they went 6-6 and with him, and he really had a decent year 
for a rookie quarterback who really came out of nowhere and, and played really great. And I just love the way he's taken the leadership by the reins and said, I'm going to lead you guys. I'm going to hit a little more salty language than that, but I'm going to lead you guys and I'm going to take you uh, to some places where we haven't been before. And, you know, we all looked at this team as a really bad team, perhaps the worst team in the NFL, and to come out and do what they did, I think it was as impressive as anything we saw yesterday. And, and I do think that if you put Gardner Minshew on the Browns and, and Baker Mayfield on the Jaguars, we might see a different Browns team. I'm just – I'm impressed with what he's done so far from a leadership standpoint, from a passer standpoint, everything else. Gardner Minshew has been a better car, quarterback than, than Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick a few years ago. I feel like for Baker Mayfield, the worst thing that could have happened to him as a rookie is he came in and took that team in that town by storm – and they have been trying unsuccessfully to live up to that ever since. And Sims and I have talked at length about how there were so many flaws in Mayfield's game last year when Freddie Kitchens became the head coach, who's working on his mechanics. His footwork was bad. He made a lot of bad decisions. There's so much, much pressure institutionally to get the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. I think that trade was the moment they got knocked off kilter, the moment that, that the town wasn't big enough for both Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr., but it just hasn't worked. And I don't know that Baker Mayfield got complacent. You know, he had this burning desire, this passion that had an arrogance to it to be great, to be. I remember the, the story about him meeting with a potential agent. They're going the list, going down the list of who has what pick in the draft. And he said, don't worry about anything after five. I'm not going lower than number five. I mean, there's something about that that is positive and powerful. But I think once he kind of had success, I don't know what happened once he had success. Like he kind of lost it a little bit and he's been trying unsuccessfully to get it back. But again, it was just one game. But yeah, there's something about Gardner Minshew. There's a swagger there that, and, and that there isn't that edge that, that there's an edge in a charming way. With Baker, you know, he gets into fights and he worries about things that he shouldn't worry about. We'll see how it goes when the pressure gets applied. He's got a good outlook after what happened this week. We'll see what he says after Thursday night's game. All right, next question. CZ Wald, what do you think has been the biggest overreaction through the first 14 games of 2020, Shireen? I think it's the analytics people saying, I told you Brady was done. He wasn't good last year. He's not going to be good this year. Look, it was one game. Perhaps it was against the best team in the NFC, if not the NFL. We know the Saints are loaded. Things get easier this week. If they lose to Carolina, I'll, I'll give you your overreaction. But let's let him have another game. Let's let him have his leading receiver, Mike Evans, his number one receiver when he's healthy. And he's probably not going to be healthy this week. I get it. He probably shouldn't have played. We, we go back and talk about these other people. Michael Thomas maybe shouldn't play. Look at what happened. Um, Yesterday with Mike Evans, he was not good and probably shouldn't have played in that game. Sit out and, and get yourself healthy. But I still think that Tom Brady and the Tampa Buccaneers are going to make the postseason as a, as a wild card team. And I think they'll be pretty good once they get to the playoffs. Brady said last week he was still having a hard time with the verbiage of, of Bruce Arians offense and he was thinking too much. I think a game will really help him. I think we're going to see a different Tom Brady and a different Bucks team this week. Yeah, and no amount of these workouts that guys did during the offseason, that, that, that's, look, that's great, and you, you get a good thing. sweat in, and, and you learn little nuances of how guys run routes, but it's not the same thing as running a full-blown offense. To have no joint practices, no preseason games, you know, I – we, we, we kind of saw it coming, and it played out for the most part in a lot of these games where the teams with a continuity prevail over the teams that are discombobulated either with a new coach, a new quarterback, or something. I mean, just look at Jacksonville and Indianapolis, right? New quarterback. In yeah. Jacksonville, no new quarterback. And with the 16 rookies on the roster – as of uh, the final cut, they still were able to overcome the team that was breaking in a new quarterback. I, I Let me say this. I'm not going to say what I think the biggest overreaction was. I'm going to say what I think the biggest overreaction should have been, and I'm amazed that there hasn't been any real reaction to it the way it should have been. The 49ers are 0-1. The 49ers got beaten at home by the Cardinals. This is a team that was the number one seed last year that wants to fast forward to the final seven minutes of the Super Bowl this year and be up 10 points and think it's just easy. Yesterday's game was the ultimate proof. There's nothing easy about being the one seed. There's nothing easy about what the 49ers did last year. And, Shereen, I watched that game earlier today on the NFL Game Pass feature. 
I would take Kyler Murray 100 out of 100 days over Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's not even a question. Wow. Wow. Okay. I know you don't like that because you don't like Kyler Murray because he was at Texas A&M <laughs> and he transferred. But get this is Tyler Murray's Kyler Murray's time, and and I tell you what, on the same field, it's a night and day difference. What Kyler Murray does, his awareness, his his mobility, everything about his game, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was inaccurate. He threw a hospital ball to George Kittle on a little screen pass that almost got his knee blown up. And and we, even when he completed the passes, they weren't they weren't like right where they should have been. Uh, some bad throws at the end of the game when they were trying to win it. I, I'm telling you. Kyler Murray already is a much better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, I had that game yesterday, and let's just be devil's advocate here. Let's say Jimmy Garoppolo also didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk. He's missing Debo Samuel. I, he, they just didn't have the weapons that they needed out there for him. Now, having said all that about Jimmy Garoppolo, because I still think this is going to be a good team. I still think he's a good quarterback. I still think they're going to contend for the NFC West and be a contender in the NFC as a whole. I was impressed with Kyler Murray. And, and I think this is what I saw for, for Johnny Manziel coming out. This is the type of quarterback I truly thought Johnny Manziel was going to be. He's gone to the right place with the right coach who designed the offense for him not like Vince Young, who ended up in the wrong place. Not like Johnny Menzel, who ended up in the wrong place. And maybe they wouldn't have been any good anyway, but we'll never know. He's gotten the right coach, the right place, and, and he's, he's, he's hard to bring down. I mean, we saw that pass rush is terrific. They couldn't get to him. It was amazing what Kyler Murray did and that sixth sense that he has to escape the pass rush, to get out, and to make positive yards on almost every play. And let me say this, too. He draws 15-yard penalties that he shouldn't draw. I mean, he slid in Feet first on one play, a guy went over the top of him and drew a 15-yard penalty. He's capable of doing that because they want to protect him so much. This guy doesn't need protecting. He's very good at protecting himself. I think it was Dre Greenlaw that barely hit him when he slid, and it was flags out 15 yeah. yards just like that. And Greenlaw was stunned, like, what did I do? Uh, let me be devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. I'm going to see your devil's advocate <laughs> okay. and raise you a devil's advocate. They made it look easy with DeAndre Hopkins being immediately added into that offense. But, you know, we've been talking all along about how important continuity is and how hard it is to get new pieces integrated. Great point. The, the, fact, the fact that they were able to do it is incredibly impressive. And it shows that Cliff Kingsbury is a far, far a lot uh, farther ahead of the game than we thought he was going to be at this point in his career, because he's the guy who wasn't even at 500 with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. All right, at the real Forno, due to the nature of the Vikings' inexperience and weakened defense, did we really learn anything about the Packers' 2020 offense yesterday, Shireen? Well, yeah, I think we did. They they got over 500 yards and 40 points, and I realized they had some really short drives. I went back and looked at the drive chart. They had some short drives. Their defense played really well. They got a safety. I know all those things. Their defense played good, but I was impressed by by what they did. You know, Devontae Adams had 156 yards and, and two touchdowns. I mean, they just, they dominated the Vikings, and this is the Vikings defense where we heard Mike Zimmer, and I love Mike Zimmer. He's one of my fa all-time favorites, but we heard him say this offseason, I've never had a bad defense, and I'm never going to have a bad defense. Well, I got to tell you, if that wasn't a bad defense, then Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and, and the Packers are great on offense because they just, they mauled that Vikings defense. And 364 yards and four touchdowns later, it was awesome. They, they, he looked good. They looked good. And, and I think they're going to be good the rest of the way. I think I underestimated the Packers because I didn't even have them going to the playoffs this year. I just think it's – I didn't either. And I think it's too early to know how good they're going to be. Maybe. They go into a yeah. stadium where they, they never had before the opportunity to not experience the noise. I think we got a feeling for what's really helped the, the defense of the Vikings play so well at home in recent years. When, when you've got that sound, it's easier to have a great pass rush than when you don't have the sound. Uh, so so we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. I, I think the other thing, too, with the Vikings – and I argued this back in January when you've got Kirk Cousins in the final year of his contract, Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, Dalvin Cook. Maybe you don't give any of them extensions because now they are all in the first year of big new contracts. And I feel like with the pandemic and everything else, this quickly can become scholarship year for the Minnesota Vikings. And it felt like it yesterday. It felt like this year doesn't count to give up 43 points, the most they've ever surrendered in their 60-year history in an opening game of a season. 
I have a feeling it could be a bad, bad season. All right, at the real Forno. No, not no. Next, at JR the Boss Man. One more. How impressed were you with Joe Burrow's performance yesterday, Shireen? I was impressed. I, I thought he handled himself well. He showed his leadership. He was able to run, looked a little bit like Kyler Murray and getting out of there and making some positive yards. And and look, his stats don't look great. If you just look at his passer rating and his numbers and his touchdowns, he didn't throw any. I mean, all those things, that, you know, it wasn't that great. But when you go back and you watch the end of the game and the way he handled it, I mean, the A.J. Green should have been a touchdown. That was a terrible offensive pass interference call on A.J. Green. And that would have been probably the game winner there. And they missed the short field goal, 31-yard field goal by Randy Bulk. He put them in position to, if not win the game, then at least kick a field goal to tie the game and send it into overtime. And you just never can trust a kicker, especially an Aggie kicker. And so they are where they are with, with the loss. But but he got them there and got them in a position to, to either tie that game or win that game. I was very impressed with what he did. The kicker was injured, Shireen. Cut your Aggie yeah. great some okay. slack. Forgot. He was injured. Oh, my, ooh, my arm. It's broken, just like Rodney Dangerfield yeah. and Caddyshack. Uh, what, what offensive pass interference call was worse, A.J. Green or Michael Gallup? They were both bad, but I, I, I think <laughs> the Michael the Michael Gallup one only because we've seen worse uh, push offs by Cowboys receivers than we saw in that one, right? Well, yeah, I said if he was wearing number eighty eight, it never would have been called. <laughs> That's last right. Night. And the thing, Tony Carrenti lost me with his pool report saying we always call this. No, you don't. That's why it was so questionable. No, we've seen that before, not called. And at that moment in the game, and this is what Mike McCarthy said. That's the moment in the game where the flag gets tucked deeper in the pocket and you let the guys play a little bit. Yep. And and you because we, we lost a, a moment, a chance for the Cowboys to win in regulation, a chance to force overtime, maybe overtime in the first ever game at SoFi Stadium. Instead, the officials intervene and that play gets wiped off the books. All right. Uh, two more games still to come Monday night. The traditional doubleheader that begins an hour early. Thank God, because good luck making it until 1 a.m. Eastern watching those two games. We'll get you ready for Steelers, Giants, and Titans, Broncos when PFTPM continues right after this. The full lineup debuted today, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern on Peacock, PFT Live. Then Dan Patrick, 9 a.m. Eastern, Rich Eisen, three hours later, noon Eastern, brother from another with Michael Hawley and Michael Smith at 3 p.m. Eastern, and then PFTPM. This is the first day that the full 11 hours of new live content is available. All shows available on demand, also on Peacock, and you'll see clips of this program on ProFootballTalk.com as well. You'll see tonight the traditional Monday night doubleheader. I remember the first year they did this, Shereen, 2006 was the first year. Do you remember the games that were played 2006 in that first doubleheader. No, who was it? I think it was Washington and Minnesota, followed by Arizona and San Francisco. I think. I'm not. I'm not 100 well, percent certain. How but can I you think ask me a trivia question and not know the answer, Mike? You got to know the answer when you ask these it's, trivia questions. It, it's not. It wasn't a trivia question. It was a curiosity question. Okay. I don't know the no answer. Idea. I wanted to see if you did. I think it was Washington, <laughs> Minnesota, followed by Arizona, San Francisco, because I remember staying up, being committed to staying up and watching all of the second game and fighting to keep my eyes open, yeah. uh, because back then, Arizona and San Francisco was a far cry from today's Arizona and San Francisco. Tonight, it's Steelers-Giants in the early game, and if the whole continuity thing holds, it could get ugly for the New York Giants and new head coach Joe Judge because you've got the Steelers who are still the Steelers. Mike Tomlin is still Mike Tomlin, and Ben is back. Ben is back, and I, I'm looking forward to this game just to see Ben. We've heard, oh, he's great, he's great, he's great. Can't tell he had elbow surgery, all those things. We're going to get to see, and we're going to get to see in the first game out. He only played two games last season, and Steelers still managed to go 8-8 eight and eight with, with two random quarterbacks there uh, Rudolph and, and Hodges. And so, I, you know, I like this football team. I think they're going to be a dark horse to win that division and, and contend in the AFC. But we're going to find right out of the gate 
how that elbow is for Ben. And if he still looks like the same Ben we know from two years ago who passed for over 5,000 yards, does he still have anything left? That's what I want to see. My concern with Ben Roethlisberger continues to be that the elbow was not a one-time thing, that it was the beginning of a breakdown in his body because of the abuse he's taken physically over the years, running, taking hits, running laterally, taking hits, just all the injuries he's had. I feel like he's potentially in a spot where he could end up breaking down. And uh, we do have the information from that first night, 2006. It was Minnesota at Washington. The Vikings won 19 to 16. It was not Arizona, San Francisco. It was the Chargers and the Raiders. The Chargers won 27 nothing. But think of this: only one of those four teams still is known by the same name it was known by 14 years Ooh, ago. It's just the Washington Football Team. It's the Los Angeles Chargers and it's the Las Vegas Raiders. So the Minnesota Vikings, the only constant. Uh, just 14 years later. All right, Broncos host the Titans. What are you looking for in that one? Well, you know, it's unfortunate Von Miller got hurt, um, but I, I think we're probably looking um, at the other side of that line with, with what Clowney can do for the Titans and how big of a difference he can make to a team that went to the AFC Championship game. You know, he paid 46 snaps in that first game that he played last year for Seattle. He missed the, the training camp and all the offseason just as he did this year. So I think we're probably going to see somewhere in that range for him in this game, but probably clowning more than anything. And then, you know, just how the Broncos make up for the loss of Von Miller, which I don't think you can make up for the loss of Von Miller. He He's that good, and and uh, they're going to miss him, and, and I think they've taken a huge hit in whatever they wanted to do this season because he's one of the best defensive players in football. Broncos receiver Cortland Sutton, one of the best 10 receivers already in the NFL, a long shot to play with a sprained AC joint. This could be an opportunity for Jerry Judy to make a splash. He was the Broncos' first-round pick, a guy they really wanted. And I think Drew Locke is going to be great, Shireen. But, yeah, now he's got to worry about Jadavian Clowney chasing him around. That could change things, although Clowney's first game just a week after getting signed. We'll see what kind of game shape he's in. The Titans should win this, but the, the, the Bron- sure. there's just something about the Broncos. And there were plenty of games going into Sunday where I thought the team that should win ended up losing. So who the hell knows? I feel a lot more confident about the Steelers tonight than the Titans. That's my pick, though. Steelers uh, and Tennessee, uh, you you on the same page, or are you going different on either I'm of the on two? The, yeah, I'm on the same page on, on both of those. It might be different if the Broncos had fans in the stands, but they don't. So the home field advantage is going to be negated there. So I like the, the better team to win. The better team is the Titans. How much of the second game will you watch live? Oh, I'm, I'm going to watch to the end. I'm, I'm going to try to stay up and watch to the end. How about you? Benefit of the central time zone. It's only midnight for you. I don't know that I'm going to make it to 1 a.m., but I will try. I'll at least make it to the first half of the second game. It'll be like when I was a kid watching Monday Night Football. I was allowed to watch the first half of the game, and then I had to go to bed. I'll watch the first half of the second game, and then I'll go to bed. But I'll at least watch it tomorrow morning before PFT Live, which will be on at 7 a.m. Eastern right here on Peacock. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.